August, people, and I got to tell you something. This week is going to be one for the record books for a myriad of different reasons. I am Guy Adami. It is August 1st. It is Market Call. It is 1 p.m. Eastern time. I can promise you we're going to go 30 minutes tight and we'll be 5,000 at 1.30. I'm joined today by the great Carter Braxton Worth. You might notice Dan Nathan not here. He is in Italy as we speak, a very warm Italy, but I'm sure he's figuring it out. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, Dan. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. I say Dan because I know he's watching. And we're powered by Open Exchange. Carter Worth, my man, the two of us. How are you? <laughs> it's good. I'm getting a flashback. I think there was a bit ago when you were away. I have this nice roll of, it's like what a pinch hitter is, right? You come in if, if someone might be on the bench for good or bad reasons and you get me. You are, can I tell you something? You are the Manny Moda of Market Call. Now, I know you don't know what that means. I guarantee Amanda Diaz doesn't, but there might be one or two people watching that sort of get that reference. But here we are. Listen, Carter, kudos to you who back in the middle of June, you thought we'd see a rally. We had a couple of head fakes, a couple of days where it didn't seem that was going to come to fruition, but you've been pretty steadfast in your work all along, thought north of 4,100. Well, here we are. Now what we're seeing Bulls and bears everywhere. And I think there are a lot of people looking to call a bottom. There's some other people sorting steadfast to that point that, you know what, this is an opportunity. Mike Wilson falls in that camp. And I'm in a Mike Wilson camp thinking we're going to have another leg lower. But Tom Lee, Ed Yardeni, a couple people saying the worst is over and it's sort of smooth sailing. I know you don't get into the fundamentals. I totally get that. You know, quite frankly, sometimes these fundamentals don't mean a damn thing. But the charts don't lie. And you brought some charts with us. So as we look at what Ed said, as we look at what Tom Lee says, juxtaposed to Mike Wilson, what are your thoughts here now that we've breached that 4,100 level? Right. I mean, before we look at the charts, let's just, I mean, I'm sure the argument being made by the Bulls, and I haven't read anything from Franz Strad or Mike Wilson is a bear or what have you, but they're going to make the case that because rates are coming down and the mm-hmm. Fed is pivoting, the commodities have peaked and the inflation problem is over, that, that you can basically get out of this. Now, I'm sure the bears are saying, no, it's always a classic. First, you get the multiple contraction, then you get the earnings misses, and we haven't had the latter. But what we do know is we've had a heck of a ricochet, which I think in the parlance I would use is we've expended a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. And so let's look at the charts and try to figure out the way forward. The S&P, its bottom was the middle of June. Of course, it was the 16th or the 17th, depending on certain stocks. And while we're not back to the 150-day moving average, a lot of individual securities are. And so the question is, is this counter-trend move, meaning we're in a downtrend, there's no way around that, peaked on Jan 4, is this counter-trend move any different than the preceding three counter-trend moves? So let's look at a table that actually depicts the moves in, in very clear format. And you can see it here on your screen. We've had four distinct drawdown sell-offs declines, plunges, and then four distinct ricochets, rebounds, counter-trend moves. And there you see them in terms of magnitude and duration. So is this one any different than the three preceding ones? Let's look at the chart again with these annotated. And what we have here is just this. The sequencing as of now, and it's not my sequencing, it's not it's not your sequencing guy, it's not it, it's just the sequencing it wouldn't really suggest that anything's particularly different about this move than the preceding ones. And so my thinking here is that just as it was overdone to the downside in mid-June, I think it's overdone to the upside now here in 
early August, and I would be selling calls against positions, fading the SPY. I agree with you. And if we can go back to that original chart, just to talk, let's talk about this sloping 150-day moving average, because it's clearly, and we've been talking about this now for a while, I mean, it's pretty clearly now sloping lower, trending lower. And we haven't seen that for quite some time. So when that turns, typically, and I think we're in, in the middle of one now, I mean, we will see counter trend rallies, but it does not turn back up on a dime and the world doesn't change that quickly. So I think we really need to address this sloping lower 150 day moving average. And the fact to your point, if you can put up that last chart illustrating that we have had counter trend rallies along the way only to be sort of found by the sellers. And I think that's what we're going to see here. And I think you brought up a great point that, you know, we haven't seen the earnings revisions yet. I do think we're going to see it, but I think you make a great point. There are a lot of people that somehow think this Fed is pivot. And I mentioned it last week on Fast Money. I said it here on Market Call. It's that line from the Simon and Garfunkel song, a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. And I think a lot of people, specifically the Bulls, I think they heard what they wanted to hear and they disregarded the rest. We'll see, but here we are. So I'm totally with you. I think you've done a great job sort of staying steadfast that we were going to bounce but just as you were steadfast saying that we're going to bounce, I think you're pretty adamant that this is where we sort of exhaust ourselves. And I think it's going to happen this week. We'll see. I think the market's trying to figure things out today. One of the things, Carter, that's also trying to figure out is the bond market. And again, kudos to you who for a long time have been saying 2.5% is in the card. There are no lines here. But you know, in terms of the 10-year yields, this is the lowest we've seen in quite some time. Now, all of a sudden, Bank America jumping on it, saying 2% in a 10-year is possible. By the way, I don't know if I agree with a 2%, but I've been steadfast as well, saying 2.5% is in the cards, and we're a lot closer to it today than we were a few weeks ago. We sure are. And so the, the bull would say, well, wait a minute. Rates peaked on June 14th at 3.5, and that's when the bottom in the S&P, mm -hmm. and it's all just tied for rates. And that's good until it's not, right? And so we know that you can play with your multiple as a growth manager or growth analyst and say, therefore, we can sort of feel better about our three to five year projections because the cost of 10-year money has come in and do our, our DCF and have a, a rosier picture, if you will. But now, what about the fact that rates are coming down for the wrong reasons? Right. The is coming down and then it's something else. And I think that's the circumstance we're in. And before we look at the charts, let's just talk about that quickly, because I think you make a great point. You know, yields can go up for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, and they can go down for the same thing, right reasons or wrong reasons. And I would submit, historically, obviously, lower rates have been a tailwind for stocks. And to a certain extent, I think that's what the market's been taking their cues off of recently. But I think to your point, rates are not going down because everything is doing well and because somehow the Fed is backstopping this thing. Rates are going lower, again, in my opinion, because growth is slowing. A slow growth environment does not, in my opinion, again, warrant a high multiple. As a fact, it should warrant a multiple going lower in terms of the S&P 500. In addition to a slowing growth environment suggests that earnings are going to come down. And you know, you have some charts in terms of the 10 years of where we could possibly go. But thoughts on that real quick, because I think you illustrated it really well. Rates are going down. And again, your opinion, my opinion as well, for the wrong reasons. Right. And also, I mean, if you really step back, and you speak about this all the time about the volatility, right, in the bond market, but also where we are now in the relationship of long-term 
yields in terms of long-term decades to think that yields go to three and a half percent on 10-year money, which is essentially cheap in any other era, mm -hmm. and people freak out. I mean, it's insane. 3.5% in any other period is considered manna from heaven. My gosh, I can I can borrow at this very low rate. And all of a sudden, that's what spooked the market, 3.5%. So here we are at 2.5, plus or minus, and is the coming in, the pulling in in rates, really the elixir for the market? I think it's because we are slowing, slowing substantially, and then therefore this is the wrong reason to be going down and it's therefore a negative for equities ultimately, not a positive. We have a question. Um, Jay watches all the time. Thanks, Jay. And his question to you specifically, Carter, does Carter think that the U.S. dollar pulling back to the mean as well? Do you, and I think you've addressed this. You've thought for quite some time the U.S. dollar was going to sell off and you think that could impact oil, et cetera. So I guess the question is, do you think you could see a continued sell-off in the U.S. dollar here? Right. We're seeing that sort of that as well come off substantially. And the question is here, too, these relationships, there are periods where, for instance, real rates right, and inflation, or if you look at gold and real rates, or you look at the Dow Jones transports and oil, you say, well, if oil's going up, they must go down. You know, on long term period, yes and no, but not in any three to six month period. And so the question here is the dollar going down. Well, that's supposed to be a relief for oil, but oil's going down too. It's supposed to help gold, but you know, gold's sort of muddling, has ricocheted the last three weeks. So while there are relationships between asset class, a lot of people do cross asset analysis on this week and next week on a rolling three, five week basis, it's nothing at all, right? It's just trying to find correlations that don't exist. Let's go back to that 10 year chart with the, you know, the notes you put in the annotations, as they say, and that is suggestive, I guess, and I'm reading your tea leaves, potentially a little bit of a head and shoulders pattern. And if in fact, I am correct, if I look at that the way you drew it, where do you suggest this could go? Obviously, Bank of America says 2%. Now, I will say this, I have to be true to my word when I said that we have a downward sloping 150 day moving average that doesn't rectify itself overnight. In this case, that moving average is still suggesting that we're headed higher and this might be the dip effectively in yields to get long at a certain point. So walk me through that because there are a couple things moving here. Maybe we overshoot and maybe we breach that 150-day moving average only then to ricochet back higher. Walk me through this chart because you drew it for a reason. Right. So just as, as described by you, it has all the elements of a reversal formation, which is to say because we're making new intermediate lows, we now have reversed. The moving average is slower moving, hence the smoothing mechanism, right? But is this formation completed? And the answer is no. Mm -hmm. The minimum sort of measured move would be to the 150 moving average, which is at 2.5%. But ultimately, were you to take the neckline there at sort of 2.7 and you take the head at 3.5, you can get to 2%. And that's mm -hmm. probably what Bank of America is basing it on because we know they're not basing it on GDP or balance of payments. I mean, you know, it's all charts. And, you know, if in fact we get there, so let's just play it out, and it's obviously not going to happen over the next couple of weeks, but if we see that 2%, again, you know, I would submit trying not to be dogmatic that if in fact we got to 2% in a 10-year, something really bad is going on here in the United States in terms of really ratcheting down of growth or something potentially bad happening in the broader market. And you can speak to this, Carter, because... Typically, historically, 
there's a flight to quality in the form of bonds if the market sells off. And a lot of times they manifest in the TLT. You also brought a TLT chart, and I will say you've been spot on in this one as well. You had a nice little double bottom rounding formation. This is effectively that same chart we just looked at, just the inverse of it, which obviously makes sense because as the TLT goes higher, yields go lower. Well, that's exactly right. So it is the exact mirror image, right? It's the bond that's traded in Chicago, which then as its price moves, we get the corresponding yield on the 10-year or the two-year or the 210 spread. But just as yields have reversed, of course, price, the thing that's being traded, actually traded, has reversed. And so the TLT is the way to play this. And at a minimum, I think you get to the 150-day moving average. And that would, of course, uh, have a corresponding yield somewhere between 2.3 and 2.1 on the 10-year. My thoughts about it being a flight to quality in the midst of a yes. potential market sell-off, does that make sense? Again, you know, fundamentals are what they are. I mean, yields move for different reasons. Again, me reading the tea leaves thinks that TLT going higher, yields going lower is going to be on the back of a market sell-off for whatever reason. What are your thoughts on that quickly? Well, that's right. So it's the old, it's the final, it's maybe with the exception of gold, buying it is the most secure security in the world, the U.S. dollar and the sovereign debt of the United States. And so one, if inflation is really cooling, being able to book a 3.5% yield, think someone buying TLT down at the bottom, they've already not only got appreciation, but they nailed they have now a 3.5% yield when the prevailing yield is 2.7. So it's very much a flight to quality. And the question is, is it finished? And I would say no. So we have a question from Peter, and excuse me for reading, Carter. And if you don't, if you don't have the data to answer this, by all means, because I certainly don't. But Peter's asking, he's wondering if Carter has any thoughts on the market breadth, particularly the NASDAQ, which seems markedly improved compared to the S&P 500. Yes. So we know that breath often leads and sometimes it's concomitant. Let's just talk about the advanced decline line, which is a traditional way to measure. I've never found any use in that, for instance, because it doesn't lead or lag. The real way to measure breath is right the number of constituents and their percent below their own 52-week highs relative to the market. So just to put this in context, and breath has improved to the point of the email, the question. But Consider this, on December 15th of last year, Stratus are all putting out their numbers for 2022, for the year, and they're all saying how bullish it would be. And the S&P is only down 3.5% from its peak. So what's to worry about? But guess what? On December 15th, half of all stocks were already down 20%. That is the purest way to measure breath. So you have an, you have an index that's like this, in an uptrend, only down 3%. But one out of two stocks have already lost 50. It's a classic example of looking under the hood. Don't judge a book by its cover. And that foreshadowed the sell-off. And so just as that has happened, in turn, breath started to improve before the market bounced in the middle of June. The question now is, while it is improved, the bounce is still just too vigorous, has gone too far. Agreed. And quickly, I know we, I'm jumping around a little bit, but I can do that because Dan's not here. But if we go back to that TLT chart, what I tell our viewers here, and, and Carter can speak to this, although we only go back about a year or so, if you were to go back to December, November, December of 2018, you will see that the low of 108, which we recently made, basically lines up with the low we made approximately 
four or so years ago. So you have a nice little, and we had talked about this on Fast Money. We exactly. talked about it on the tape. We have clearly talked about it on Market Call. There's another reason to be bullish, again, short term in the TLT. So I think it sets up really well. One of the things that you've been spot on, and I've sort of missed the boat, and today it really looks like I missed the boat, is crude oil. And if we can go to it, we'll take a look. I mean, oil plunges as China's slowdown spurs concern over demand outlook. Yes, I get it. And Carter, quickly, before you look at this, I'll also tell you that people will look at the backwardation as a bearish indicator. In other words, the price being higher today as opposed to three, six, nine months out. People say, well, the market is pricing in lower prices three, six, nine months from now. I understand why people will say that. I will encourage you folks to go look at the Jeff Curry interview this morning on Squawk Box where he really, I think he explained why backwardation is not bearish, but in fact bullish. But here we are. Seem to be a line of demarcation here. I would submit, knowing you, that you think there's probably another leg lower. By the way, this is not in a vacuum. You've been saying this for a while. Right. There, this is a problem, right? And I think what you have, it's always about if you, if you get too many people on one side. And we've all been that person where you're like, wow, I'm completely consensus here. And it turns out it's deadly wrong. When crude spiked, it was only six sessions. It went from $90 a barrel to mm-hmm. 130 Think about that. And the street extrapolates, we're going to get $200 a barrel. The Russia thing, it's been the exact opposite. It's not their fault. Sometimes we're, you know, you get to be the person who just can't see that it's too extreme. And so now the whole thing is reversed. It's all gone pear-shaped. This is a chart with no annotations. Let's put in those original annotations from that spike. And what we know, and you'll see it here on the next chart, is that all that blow-off did was get you above, right, the sort of well-defined megaphone, whatever you want to call it. But now we're comfortably in it. I think at a minimum, we're going to the midpoint, call it 85, 86. But the main thing is, is that when something is loved to the point of adoration, it's probably right to move away from it. And in turn, while usually it's not right to catch the falling knife, if something is truly hated, you know, step up and buy a little bit. I agree with that. And it's interesting. And I think your lines, again, speak for themselves. And I've probably been fighting this a little bit too much. And I still think, again, supply-demand fundamentals speaks to higher crude. But you have to wonder if this move specifically today is going to flush a lot of people out. Now, not that it necessarily matters, but you saw some pretty strong earnings releases out of ExxonMobil and some of the big cap integrated names last week. Exxon had a huge move higher back in the spring, obviously sold off on the back of crude. We tried again, seemingly are are failing here. So we'll see what happens with crude. Now, again, not a big component of the S&P 500. So I don't think as crude goes, the S&P goes. I'm not trying to say that at all, but clearly levels to watch here. And it's going to be interesting to see. I'll just throw this wild card out just because, and again, Dan's not here so we can do this. I'm wondering though, you know, again, some saber rattling out of China vis-a-vis Nancy Pelosi's trip potentially to Taiwan. I think she's in Singapore right now. The geopolitical risks come into the forefront here, or is that just sort of ancillary noise? Yeah, I mean, there's always that in the sense that a true dust-up, right, is is a typically a period where crude oil advances. The thing about that, I think, here and now, is that crude oil is fairly rich already, right? We're still talking about 80, 90 dollars a barrel, even if it drops to 85. So here at the 92, 95, it's not as though 
crude is really cheap down in the 40s, 50s, 60s and could spike on a, a geopolitical event. Crude's pretty firm already, despite having come off from 130 to 90. It's not as though it's, quote, down in the dumps and could spike because of being down in the dumps. No, fair enough. And it's it's going to be, I, look, I still think there's another chapter here in the bull case, but right now that's that's looking grim if you have that view. What is interesting this week are a host of earnings. Now, obviously, last week we heard from all the names that everybody talks about. Here's some names that people don't talk about nearly as much, and maybe they should. We're going to look at Caterpillar. I will tell you, I look at this chart or this graph, and I look at Amgen and Eli Lilly on Thursday, but Caterpillar is the one. Now, I will tell you, Caterpillar's had a huge sell-off, and maybe it's on the back of slowing global growth, that whole thing, China lockdown. I mean, there are a myriad of different reasons, but Caterpillar in the earnings is interesting. You look at this chart, though, and you say, you know what, we've had our run to the upside, and the stock has bounced. It looks like the next leg might be lower. Speak to me on CAT. You know, that's my hunch. Obviously, Caterpillar, not shown here, but the preceding two or three years, if you look at a fiber chart, a great run-up, right? One of the great performers beating the heck out of the market, and then basically stalls for the past year and a half before plunging out of that stall and making new lows. So the question is, if you have that circumstance, a great run-up, one, and then a sideways period, two, and then you break down as it has out of that range, and then three, recover back to it, you've recovered to a level of overhead supply, where in principle, memory kicks in, two types, people who bought in the preceding year, who, when CAT was down at 165, were really underwater. And now having this reprieve, 165 to 200, are looking to get their money back. So memory from above, get me out, I'm even, and then memory from below. Whoever nailed this in early July, dumb luck or brilliance at 168, 170, you flip the cards over like this and you show someone 195, they're like, man, that was free money. I made this in just a couple of weeks. I should book it. You got memory from below, memory from above. I would consider this a rally to a level where sellers emerge. Yeah, I'm fascinated to hear what they have to say. And to your point, you know, the discipline suggests that if you've caught this thing cold over the last, you know, month or thereabouts, the right thing to do is probably take some money off the table. Look, and if they come out with some blockbuster number and give you great guidance, that's just the way it works. But my sense is you're probably going to be right. I think people probably will be disappointed with the outlook, and it's really not about valuation because as people will tell you, sometimes with these industrial names, cheaper valuation is not necessarily a reason, and sometimes it's a warning. Caterpillars are a component of the XLI. Let's take a look at this because I think it tells a very similar story. You brought a chart. Right, so this in turn is the ETF that's meant to capture the S&P 500 industrial sector, and you can see here the ricochet. I mean, it's one of the steepest sort of four, five, six moves on that chart with the exception of the down move in March. And so if we put some lines on here and we have that in the next iteration, I would consider this a rally to a difficult level where again, two types of sellers emerge. Those who bought poorly, who now have had a great deal of their losses, if not all of their losses recouped, get me out, sellers, and then two, whoever, dumb luck or brilliance, nailed it close to the bottom or at the bottom, has just had a 20% gift, if you will. And a short-term trader typically will react by selling. So selling pressure from above, from below, I think you sell as well. Yeah. And going back to that graph, just so we could see who's reporting this week, the ones that we picked out quickly. 
Starbucks is another name, obviously. Now, we're going to look at Starbucks and AMD next. Again, ConocoPhillips later in the week. Let's see if they sort of mirror what Exxon said. Again, I mentioned Amgen and Lilly. Amgen, to me, just sort of throwing it out there. Still very cheap on valuation. Eli Lilly, more expensive, but probably the best of the big cap pharma names. But let's take a look at the Starbucks chart because I think people will be surprised. Again, extraordinarily sloping lower 150-day moving average since Christmas, effectively. Sort of makes sense when you start to read the tea leaves. We've had this little bounce. I think you think this bounce is going to exhaust itself probably when they report tomorrow. Right. And so it's really in many ways the same circumstance. Just stepping back, what we know is that 75% of companies that reported so far have beat their street estimates. But beating estimates when estimates are lower doesn't mean much. The earnings growth rate for the quarter is basically 5%. That's not great. And the question is, a stock like Starbucks having advanced 25% to its declining 150-day moving average, is it in a position to press on further or does it falter here? And one could say, well, nobody knows. It's 50-50. More often than not, a robust ricochet back to a, a moving average, whether you use the 200 or the 150 days I do, is a point at which you're likely to, said for the third time, encounter sellers from above, from below. And so my thinking is if you are long, you take some profits or you write calls against it. But if you just want to bet it binary into earnings, which is very dangerous, I love to do it, but it's dangerous. My bet is short. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, you're going to see a I think you're going to see that situation where, you know, maybe you can get this continued grind into the number, people squaring up, people trying to play a little bit of stock market here. Again, I mean, if you just sort of read the tea leaves, see what's going on. If you have global economies that are slowing, if costs are going higher and the costs associated with Starbucks, that starts to bleed into their margins. It costs more to hire people. I can't believe, again, that they're going to paint a rosy picture in terms of guidance if, in fact, they give it. So I'm with you on this one. Again, if you've enjoyed this move, I think the disciplined thing to do is to be taking money off the table into it. We'll see how it plays out. One of those things that you love to say, and for you folks playing a market called Bingo, I'm going to give you one to the penny. And you look at this AMD chart, Carter, another company reporting tomorrow. Well, to the frickin' penny in terms of this declining trend line. And again, it makes sense if you think about it. I mean, lower interest rates have been very supportive of these names. But when the Fed pivoted in November, that obviously marked pretty much the top in a lot of these high valuation semi-names. AMD is not. They are obviously fall into that category. Talk to me here. Are we finally going to break out to the upside or are we going to get disappointed? Right. So again, it's ever thus. No one could say same as Starbucks, but at Starbucks lost 45% of its value from its peak. And so what? It's moved up a little bit. It's nowhere near. But then you're playing for long term. Sure. And I would say in 10 years, Starbucks higher, which is a stupid thing to say because playing for 10 years, nobody knows whether you'll be alive in 10 years. So here's the same thing with AMD. The stock lost 56% of its value. And one could say, okay, so it's ricocheted a bunch, but having had a 56% decline, we know that possibly the all-time lows for this cycle are in and it's got more room to run. Why fade the bounce? It just depends on who you are and what your time frame is. If you're a short-term trader, a bounce like this to a well-defined downtrend line, more often than not, look at those arrows, you make the bet that it, that it falters here. I'm with you on that. Jody's asking, and I'm not looking to tee you up, and we don't have the chart, but I know you know your charts like the back of your hand. Can Carter revisit the SMH channel he presented uh, week before last? 
thoughts are it probably broke out to the upside through that channel. I know now I'm asking you to sort of do something on the fly here, but I no, know no, you're no. capable of doing it. So that channel, and I have it very much on my mind's eye so we can discuss it, SMH and the SOC got right to the upper band and actually pulled back almost precisely at the time of the judgment and now has pushed through the channel. So just as it hit its head and backed away, now I think it backs away again. So you've had this sequence where it failed at the top of the channel, backs away, and now is pushed through the channel. But again, it's names like this that have caused it. It's Remember, the SMH of the socks don't go up or down. The constituents mm-hmm. in the index, and therefore the index then moves. The whole thing is just a bit too far too fast. I agree with you. How important, you know, there's certain weeks of the year where, you know, some importance is greater than other weeks. I happen to think, given the run we've had, in the S&P, given what's going on in crude oil that we discussed, given the move in bond yields, which we also discussed, I think this is a pretty important week to sort of tell us what's going to happen for the next month, month and a half. Again, I think we both come down on the same side, but I'm make, am I making too much out of this, Carter? I don't think so. We, we Maybe what not to rephrase what you said, but we've had a lot of movement, right? So really rates 3.5 to 2.6, oil plunging, right? Stock market popping. Dollar selling off, yen. So there's been a lot of jockeying. And now, to your point, what we do here is going to inform a a lot of things. And so a lot of things have moved in contrary directions. Things that were stretched both ways have mean reverted. And this week, next week, as we finish up earnings, will really tell us a lot about the market's direction. The net net of it is I think the market's bounced too far. Obviously, that's a view. Other people think there's more to go. But one thing we do know is it's catalysts that move the market. The Fed's kind of out of the way here and now, right? Earnings are out of the way. I don't think you have much in the way of catalysts. And so in that sense, it's also possible that the market just kind of goes quiet here for a bit. We're going to find out, CBW. And what did I say at the top? If you recall, I said, I'm going to be I'm going to adhere to the 130 checkout. Well, take a look at your clocks there, sports fans. Yeah, 1.30, I don't wear a watch. But that's it for today's Market Call. I want to thank Carter Braxtonworth for joining for the entire half hour. Carter will be back on Wednesday. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. We are powered by Open Exchange. I am powered each and every day by the work of the great Carter Braxtonworth. I'm back tomorrow. Now, check this out because this is going to be off the chain or whatever you people say. Danny Moses tomorrow with me on Market Call. Thanks, Carter. We'll see you folks later. See you Wednesday.